Good. We're broadcasting live. Welcome to another edition of uh, Turf Chat. Um, today we've got uh, Barrett Lanauer from New Mexico State University who's going to talk to us about subsurface irrigation and really probably a lot about water conservation. Uh, water management in the southwestern United States is obviously a, a major concern and it's a growing concern for much of the United States and other parts of the world as well. So before we get started with the presentation, I'd like to just allow everybody to uh, introduce themselves. We'll go left to right, uh, talk about anything you have coming up, any promotion you want. As I always say, self-promotion is a good thing. So uh, Baron, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, thanks, John. Uh, my name is uh, Bernd Leinau. I'm the uh, Extension Turf Rust Specialist and uh, Professor here at New Mexico State University. Um, our research deals um, with water conservation, and as part of um, this this huge topic, we we also look at uh, alternative ways to irrigate turf, and that of course means uh, irrigate turf from the subsurface, um, and uh, that's uh, what I'm going to highlight uh, maybe for the next 40 minutes or so. Hey, I'm Larry Stoll from Pace Turf out in San Diego, California, and I just wanted to make a note that uh, April 1st we're having a meeting in San Diego, and uh, John Kaminsky is going to uh, participate, and uh, so is Bruce Williams, who just uh, popped in now, so I guess we'll move back over to Bruce to introduce himself. Yeah, Bruce, uh, hopefully your sound's good. Uh, just introduce yourself. Uh, no sound, Bruce. See if you can fix your sound. We're going to move on to uh, Matt, and then... Um, and then I'll introduce, and we'll see if we get the sound back. Sorry, I just had to unmute myself. Um, Matthew Crowther, I'm a golf course superintendent on Martha's Vineyard. Don't really have a whole lot to promote here to uh, learn and see if I can participate as well as uh, I can. Okay, great. Um, I am John Kaminsky. I'm an associate professor at Penn State. Uh, Matt, I'm going to mute you again for a second. Uh, associate professor at Penn State, dealing primarily with uh, golf course management, disease, weed uh, management, and uh, many other things. I'm also the crazy person who started turf diseases in these turf chats, uh, which I'm happy to say we've been getting some good momentum, um, and I want to thank the people participating. So, Bruce, let's go back to you and see if you got any sound. Okay, can you hear me now, John? We're good. All right. Yeah, I was muted for some reason. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bruce Williams. I'm uh, the executive director of the California Turfgrass and Landscape Foundation, and happy to participate with everybody. And looking forward to hearing some new stuff from Bern. Okay, uh, Bern. I think how we'll start is we'll just uh, have you uh, screen share your presentation, and you can get going. I uh, will remind everybody while uh, Bern's doing that to if anybody's in here that has their mic on. Uh, just mute it while he's talking, and then remember to unmute it if you have a question. Uh, that'll help prevent some feedback. I'm going to monitor Turf Chat on Twitter, and hopefully if anybody has any questions out there in the social media world, we'll be able to address those and get direct feedback from Baron. So with that, I'm turning it over to you, Baron. Okay. Thanks, John. And uh, you, you see my title slide now? Yeah, we're great. Okay, good. So um, we're going to cover subsurface irrigation today. And let me see, my slides are not moving. Why is my slide not moving? Hmm. 
you may have to click on the actual presentation with your mouse and then use the arrow keys or something to move it. See if you can do that. There we go. Okay. Good. Um, John mentioned in his um, introduction water conservation. Um, that is a very important aspect in turf management here in the southwest, whether you grow grass in the residential area um, or on athletic fields or on golf courses. Um, the, um, ba based on evapotranspiration, based on ET, we have uh, about a 60-inch uh, water requirement uh, on an annual basis here in Las Cruces, and that's, that's more or less the same number uh, throughout the um, southwest. Um, that's kind of uh, highlighted through that red line here. And now you also see the, the blue line there at the very bottom. That's our annual long-term uh, annual precipitation, which is just about 10 inches. Although we haven't had 10 inches in all the 12 years that I've been living in Las Cruces. As a matter of fact, last year we had uh, 3.4 inches of rainfall 2012, and 1.6 inches came in one day. So, uh, you know, with, with rainfall, we, we can't really cover our, our water demand. Uh, then, um, um, as, as you know, uh, of course, we work with crop coefficients, so we don't have to cover the entire evapotranspiration. Depending on whether you grow cool season or warm season grasses, that number comes down a little bit more into the 50 inches uh, range for cool season and more the 40 inches range for the warm season grasses. So in order to bring those two lines together, we, we, we provide irrigation. So that's, we're talking 30, 40 inches of uh, irrigation uh, on turf just to keep it alive and to keep it green. That's a lot of water depending on the area and therefore uh, we need to look at water conservation to actually reduce the amount of water that goes out on turf. So um, that's kind of what we do in research, what we do with our projects. We use uh, several uh, different um, uh, approaches. Um, here are listed some that have been suggested and that uh, we suggest. Of course, the first one, artificial turf, we're not even going to want to go there because that's not real turf. But reduce the area under irrigation. We see that on golf courses that they um, uh, reduce turf area. Uh, of course, we uh, apply different types of water. We move away from using potable water, uh, either recycled or other impaired waters such as groundwater, saline groundwater, uh, where, uh, which we have uh, plentiful of in, in New Mexico. Uh, we look at uh, different types of turf grasses, low water use or drought tolerant turf grasses. We let grass go dormant or brown and uh, use that as the new as the new green, brown as the new green, um, except quality reduction. And then, and this is what we will be covering today, uh, look at uh, irrigation distribution, irrigation efficiency, uh, investigate alternative uh, irrigation systems and um, how that uh, relates then uh, to water conservation, irrigation water conservation. Now, we've been um, uh, criticized that we kind of do, do research in, in, in the ivory tower. We, we don't really uh, cover what the real world is doing. So I just want to uh, put this, this slide up. It was actually given to me by Brian Whitlark, who is a USGA agronomist out here in, in the southwest. 
And uh, I guess uh, just for for everybody that criticizes our turf program or, or in general some of the strategies that, that we suggest for water conservation, there is actually a good overlap in what uh, USGA promotes and USGA suggests and what we do. And, and look at his uh, very first um, strategy here that, that he has, and that's inline drip. That's just another word for subsurface drip um, and um, promoting uh, what, we've in, what we've investigated and what we uh, look at and have looked at for over 10 years. Now, uh, any of you that uh, work in the Southwest and that work in irrigation in the Southwest uh, know that uh, turf irrigation systems are not always efficient. Um, and uh, a lot of the inefficiencies that uh, we have with our irrigation system are then uh, increased water use and the blame uh, is being put on the grass, that grasses waste water. So really, uh, when, when we uh, look at this, this aspect a little bit closer, uh, we need to distinguish turf grass water use uh, from irrigation efficiency or actually irrigation inefficiency. And there is one number that's been published uh, by Brent Meekham, who is now with the Irrigation Association in 2004. He summarized over 6,800 irrigation audits that were conducted all over the country, not just in the southwest, predominantly in the southwest, but all over the country. And uh, his, uh, the, the number that he published, the average distribution uniformity, low quarter distribution uniformity, was 0.5 or 50%. What that means, uh, if you use that number to schedule your irrigation, you um, have ET um, divided by the distribution um, uniformity, then that actually doubles the amount of water because it doubles your runtime, so doubles the amount of water that goes out compared to what the grass plant really needs. So 50% of all the water is actually wasted uh, due to an inefficiency and not because uh, the grass uh, is asking for it. And that's on the on the field, of course, uh, as we go into the residential areas, um, uh, or um, when we talk about sprinkler system, we also have overspray. Here, those two photos highlight that very nicely. That uh, we may or may not have irrigation distribution uniformity. Uh, issue on the field, but we also have a lot of water just running down the sidewalk um, uh, or running down the street, which of course is also not not efficient and it's really not covered in your distribution uniformity because your uh, catch cans are on the grass and not off the grass. And then one of my one of my 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 favorite series of slides is uh, what I call the natural progression of a modern sprinkler system. You know, we install a system, uh, we 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 do it according uh, to code, according to a plan. We know the flow, we know the pressure, but then over time things change, nozzle wear out, pressure changes. What what have you not? And then here we have on the left, we have a nice uh, athletic field uh, installed, seeded in 2005. Uh, good distribution uniformity, more or less um, uniform grass. As we look at the same field now in 2009, and we all already see some issues popping up, uh, probably pressure, maybe clogged nozzles, and that's now the same athletic field in 2011. And of course the first reaction to, to these donuts or these to, to these uh, drought 
uh, areas, droughty areas, is that you increase runtime because you feel you have areas that are not getting enough water, uh, yet you're not addressing the underlying cause of what may be pressure or nozzles or what else. So this is kind of when you work in the southwest, you see this uh, very quickly uh, showing up. Uh, you guys on the east where you have plenty of rain, um, a lot of your uh, irrigation inefficiencies are actually masked by a, a good amount of precipitation. Now you could argue, well, we, we really do golf courses, we don't do residential and we don't do athletic fields, uh, but when you um, uh, look at uh, golf courses from uh, or with an aerial view, you also see donuts. And I see um, Mike Huck just uh, popping on online. Hi, Mike. Uh, he probably knows and he's probably seen that uh, once, uh, one or two times. Uh, donuts is is uh, a common cause or a common um, picture on golf courses that we deal with. So to summarize all this, uh, we, we may think that we deal with uh, efficient sprinkler systems, but most of the times we do not. And of course, we, we should maintain our sprinkler systems. We should uh, look at um, uh, frequently whether uh, it performs adequately. Or alternatively, we could actually look at um, irrigating turf uh, by a different way from the subsurface. And here we have uh, two approaches. We have uh, on the right side here in this uh, diagram shows sub-irrigation, and I'll, I'll show a few examples of that um, uh, in a moment, but that's really not the topic of, the day, of, the, of today. Today I, I really want to focus most of my time on subsurface drip irrigation or uh, inline drip irrigation, uh, which is uh, same, same to the but a term for the same type of irrigation. So this is kind of uh, just uh, applying water directly to the root zone and at first throwing it uh, into the air and then hope that it'll, it'll land eventually on the area that we're trying to irrigate. This is what uh, most, most people have in mind or think of when we talk about subsurface irrigation. We have a typical uh, drip line uh, about four inches uh, below below the surface. Um, uh, we have drip emitters space roughly every foot, every 30 centimeters, uh, applying water at about either 0.5 or 0.9 gallons per minute. So um, that's kind of uh, what uh, we think of. However, there is another approach uh, which is called sub-irrigation and it's, it's kind of a uh, a system where you um, drain and irrigate through the same pipe system. And I just want to throw out two examples here. On the top left, you have what's called cell system, uh, quite a few golf courses and athletic fields uh, in Europe. And then uh, here in the US, uh, we had about 10 years ago, a system uh, pop up on the market, first called ECS, and then the name got changed to EPIC or Environmental Passive Integrated Chamber. Now, if, if all these systems, and they have been on the market for, for quite a while, why don't we see them more frequently? Why, why really uh, haven't they um, um, taken off and, uh, and, and are used more often? 
Well, this is just my my list of explanations why I think we don't see them more often. First of all, even though we're talking about water conservation, uh, there is particularly on golf courses uh, there is not really uh, a true lack of urgency. There, there is a lack of urgency. Um, then the performance has always been uh, questions whether they work or not, particularly in combination with poor quality water, with saline water. Uh, you talk to some superintendents, to some ground managers that have heard about it or even have it, and they say, well, it doesn't really work. I had this problem or that problem. So it's, it's considered to be an unproven technology. And then when it comes to irrigation, uh, turf managers, golf course superintendents just resist change in general when it comes to irrigation. We have been irrigated turf from sprinkler from above for, for decades, century actually, so why should we change? On golf courses, a lot of the technology, particularly on the sub-irrigated side, we're really only talking about tees and greens and how much water can you really conserve on six to eight acres when, when actually you have 100 acres under irrigation. And then there's always cost because uh, a lot of these um, technologies uh, cost more in installation and maybe also in maintaining than a traditional sprinkler system. And that's that's actually not even comparing apples to apples. That's, uh, in my opinion, comparing apples to oranges because, as I just showed before on some of the examples, uh, we have been uh, neglecting sprinkler systems and have not maintained sprinkler systems for for quite a while. So then for all the naysayers, of course, I can say, well, my, my folder of non-working sprinkler system is actually much thicker than my folder of non-working sub-irrigation systems. So I certainly can, can show you plenty of pictures of, uh, of sprinkler systems that don't work, and, uh, but, but that argument certainly doesn't, doesn't help much. Talking about uh, sub-irrigation sub or subsurface drip irrigation, uh, some of the pros that are published, that are listed, or that we heard uh, from um, superintendents, managers that have worked with the technology where there is no overspray or wind drift. Um, also, area can be used while irrigated, so you can irrigate it from below and still play uh, on top of the grass. Uh, there is no exposure uh, to recycled irrigation water. That's a big thing that we see, particularly in New Mexico, in the southwest, where parents uh, don't want to have their kids uh, play soccer, baseball, you name it, uh, when there is uh, treated effluent applied. Uh, we have a more drier surface uh, on the top four inches, so we see reduced compaction. Uh, now, reduced diseases, that's an argument uh, that's a pro that comes out of agriculture that we see in uh, irrigated row crops that have, uh, particularly in Chile, we see drip irrigated Chile has uh, significantly less diseases than um, uh, flood irrigated uh, Chile, for example. We, we do see reduced weeds. And, and overall, the belief is that uh, we have reduced irrigation because we have a more efficient application. On the, on the con side, um, 
sub-irrigation can interfere with, with standard maintenance, uh, drip irrigation, for example, with, with cultivation, with aeration. Fertilization is, is an issue, is a question that we asked, well, can you still apply granular fertilizer? What about my pesticide application if I have to do um, a weed control, grub control, for example, and it needs to be washed in? Um, questionable whether we can establish uh, from seed or sod with drip irrigation. Is there enough water reaching the surface so we can have germination and roots actually uh, go after the wetting front? Uh, salinity buildup is, is a big one. Uh, we can leach salts uh, below the drippers, but uh, what about above the drippers where we have water movement only by capillary? And then again, the cost I mentioned before. Uh, a drip irrigation to install can be uh, more expensive uh, to install than a traditional sprinkler system. Okay, let's talk just very briefly, just two minutes about uh, sub-irrigation. Uh, it's considered a line source system uh, below ground, about 12 to 16 inches deep. Uh, I mentioned before we have an irrigation and a drainage through one pipe system where you basically uh, turn the lever and then the system even either drains or you 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 raise the the outlet and then uh, we keep water inside and then we irrigate. Um, we have the subgrade uh, usually sealed by a plastic barrier, so we we create a kind of a bathtub. And then uh, we have the traditional uh, either USGA type root zone or just a straight sand. Uh, root zone and some of the products that are on the market have been on the market or were on the market some disappeared I don't know the the status of the pad system where you there was one on um, on athletic fields uh, epic system uh, I know they're still around I see them at shows and then cell system was big in Europe I mentioned before but I haven't heard uh, from them in, in quite a while this yeah. is a, a typical yeah. cell system Yes. Can I ask you a question? I like on. Are there polymers involved in any of these systems? I know we had one uh, one client who had a pad system for a for a practice screen, and they were using the uh, polyacrylamide gels. You know, in the uh, in the root zone. Is there any other amendment stuff going on in the root zones, or just uh, sand usually? Um, it's usually up to the builder what what type of root zone they do and to the architect. Uh, some modify with peat, some modify with calcium clays, some do polymers, but it's it's the the manufacturer of these irrigation systems uh, do not mess with the, with the root zone. They leave that up to the architect or to the builder. Hmm, okay. Now, I uh, personally, I'd be I'd be a little bit weary in increasing moisture retention too much, um, because you you can have moisture retention already uh, increased by basically just plugging the drainage, and that that will give you plenty of water. I, I don't think you need to put more so. Most of the, the cell system fields, athletic fields, and golf greens that I, I saw and that, uh, that I worked was actually part of my, my PhD work in Germany. They all went with straight sand. Okay, now this is the EPIC system, which just uh, had a new distributor in the US, and I forgot, I think it's Goodyear, it's the tire company. 
but I don't don't quote me on that. Um, that's that's also one of these systems that can uh, either hold water or or drain water through these uh, chambers that they put um, uh, below ground. This is a green uh, practice green in Reno, Nevada, that has this this system built in. Uh, we we conducted uh, um, research a few years ago was uh, USGA and GCSA funded. Um, it was actually a, a fairly large project where we compared a sprinkler system on a USGA type green and on a California green. We had a drip irrigation, a Toro drip irrigation uh, installed and then we also had that uh, EPIC system installed. And uh, we, we looked at that for, for three years and uh, the outcome was uh, was quite interesting that the uh, EPIC system really uh, had uh, higher turf quality and this was a 10% south-facing slope irrigated uh, from below ground. Hey, Baron, uh, Baron, I have a question too. Um, yeah. It's an elaborate construction for a research project. Um, yes. Can you, can you say what that what that cost in terms of just getting that set up? Oh, that was yeah, that was huge. That cost uh, that cost a dime or two, um, and and uh, it was actually um, whoa the the cost itself. I mean, there was uh, the root zone was donated. Uh, some of the excavation was donated. We had uh, golf course construction companies that came in and and helped us. All the material was donated by the um, by the irrigation companies, and the technician that I had hired to take care of this project uh, came from from uh, funding sources like USGA, GCSA. We also had a, a big regional grant, um, actually a federal grant that looked at water conservation in the lower Rio Grande Valley and that included uh, turf. It, it, uh, the majority of the money went to Ag uh, for water conservation in, in Ag but we also got a, a little bit of money out of that so uh, that's kind of... Um, but if, you, if you had to put a number on it though, I mean just so that I understand the actual scope. This point. was easily, I mean if we had to pay for the construction of all this I'd say uh, about one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, one, other, one other question, Baron. Could you just describe for the audience uh, the difference between the California and the USGA root zone um, design? Well, in 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 one or two sentences, the difference is that um, they use a different uh, uh, a different testing protocol for the root zone material, and then the root zone in the California green is straight sand, and the USGA uh, recommended for for long periods of time to only use peat and I think now they opened it up a little bit and they also use uh, inorganic uh, amendments to to bring um, a straight sand uh, within within their specs regarding total porosity, water holding capacity and uh, saturated uh, hydraulic conductivity. And then there's a there's the uh, choker layer in the not a choker, but there's a gravel layer under the USGA 
Correct. That is correct. The USGA has a, has a gravel layer. Uh, depending on what size of gravel you use, you may or may not have to use a choker layer with the gravel. But uh, the California green, the sand sits directly on the drainage pipes. Okay. Yeah, I, I would like also, Bernd, I would also add that the California specification for the sand is uh, a much tighter, more medium grain sand. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have some of the outlying fines and courses. Uh, it's it's a real narrow specification, and most people don't realize that. Correct. I feel like I'm being quizzed here. <laughs> well, well, I just, I, it's just in case people don't understand what's going no, on. No, I, I just, kidding. just kidding. Just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay. So, and um, oh no, sorry, I'm going the wrong direction. So. What, what we saw overall, uh, just to summarize this, we saw better turf quality and less localized dry spots on, on sub-irrigated um, plots because we just, we just didn't go through these moisture extremes. We had soil moisture sensors, TDR sensors in the profile. And and you know this these these extremes in in the in the sprinkler irrigated plots, regardless of uh, of USGA or California, where you have uh, after irrigation you you reach near saturation, and then at the end of the day you're 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 extremely dried out in the summer. We just didn't see that in the in the Epic system, and that was our explanation why we then didn't see the localized dry spots. When it comes to water conservation, and, and this is just one slide, um, we actually saw on average over the three-year period 30% less water on these uh, sub-irrigated, uh, I call them here ECS because when we put them in, it was still called ECS. Like I said, now it's called EPIC. So we saw on, on average about 30, 30 to 40% less water used on the EPIC system with, with higher turf quality. And we, we tried to maintain as closely as possible golf greens conditions. So we top dressed, um, um, we mowed at about uh, uh, 3.8 millimeters. So we mowed six times a week. Uh, that, that's ultimately what, what killed the project because um, you know having having an area of that size trying to maintain uh, close to golf course conditions is is very hard and, and very cost intensive so this these were our findings on sub irrigation but let's talk about subsurface drip uh, subsurface drip where we have these strip lines uh, below ground uh, is as been extensively used in agriculture and there is a ton of data out there that you have increased yield, higher yield, higher quality yield uh, on less water applied, yet it is very slow to reach acceptance in turf. Here we have, uh, this is an onion field here in Las Cruces that is drip irrigated and here we have a horse pasture uh, east of, of Las Cruces that is also uh, subsurface drip irrigated. Most, if not all, big um, irrigation companies uh, now have um, uh, a drip 
system, a, a drip type, subsurface drip type irrigation system as, as part of the product line. Here we have Toro, top left, Netafim, uh, still market leader were the first ones. We have Hunter, uh, Rainbird, uh, and then also Kiss America. They, they all have uh, uh, drip systems, um, offer drip systems. They, they vary a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I want to talk more about the concept, not about differences in products. On golf courses, uh, we see it on, on tee boxes. We have uh, one golf course in New Mexico that has tee boxes very close to to uh, houses, to a housing area that is irrigated with treated effluent. So they uh, don't want to have water spray or or drift uh, towards the houses or on on the grass of the houses. So they have uh, tee boxes with drip system, but predominantly we see it on. Um, bunkers and on bunker faces because they're hard to irrigate, um, need hand watering if uh, additional hand watering to prevent water from running down into the bunker washing washing the sand down. Here we have two examples. Uh, top left is uh, I think in the San Francisco area and the top right is somewhere in the southwest and it's a photo that uh, Brian Whitlark, again, a USG agronomy, gave us. And the idea here is because these bunker faces dry out very, very quickly, so they would require irrigation in the summer twice a day, sometimes three times a day, which then interferes with play, uh, or you hand water them, and then it's uh, labor and cost intensive. So with the drip system in place, you irrigate only the area that you want to irrigate, and you can irrigate in the afternoon when there is actually play going on and you don't interfere with the play. Also, you don't have the overspray into the bunker sand that then washes down and has to be raked up again. Whether it's uh, bunker faces, whether it's an athletic field, or whether it's your backyard, uh, installation is, is all more or less the same. Uh, you should have on one zone, you should have an air release valve, you should have a flush valve. There are now automatic flush valves that have kind of a membrane, a manifold inside. So the first five, ten seconds uh, flush out all the water. So you, if, if you have sediments or debris uh, going into the system, it's actually being flushed and not clogging the emitters. Uh, most of the times uh, you need to um, also install a pressure regulator because uh, all these uh, most of the drip emitters uh, operate best anywhere between 20 and 30 psi and that's actually a lower pressure that you may have available at the site so that's a very very simple uh, approach these are some photos from from installations uh, we we followed up and we accompanied through our extension service uh, on athletic fields uh, those were uh, soccer fields, uh, top two, and then the bottom right photo. The bottom left is a, is a baseball field that was installed with subsurface strip in Santa Fe a few years ago. This is a, a five-acre soccer complex in the Albuquerque Rio Rancho area that went all um, subsurface strip. This is actually a photo from uh, the grand opening when they had... Um, soccer games. Um, the, the parents here wanted subsurface drip because uh, it's supposed to go 
on uh, treated effluent within the next year or two and uh, parents argued that they don't want to have the kids exposed to treated effluent. Even though we all know that treated effluent is fine and it's used elsewhere from sprinklers, but here uh, the argument was that it has to be applied below ground and um, that was then installed a subsurface drip system. They also had fer the fertilization here in this soccer field uh, project is applied by an injection system. Um, Got to work out the kinks a little bit. On the left, you see the typical striping where they had the run times um, a little bit too long. Um, and then uh, you have, because it's a fairly sandy soil, of course, a lot of water is then lost to leaching. It's not actually moving left or right. It's, it's immediately uh, moving downwards. You have deep percolation. So you have the, the, the green. You have also the fertilizer applied right on top of the drip lines, but not between the drip lines. If you pulse your system, you actually run multiple short-term run times. Uh, through the day or or through your irrigation event, then you have also water moving more laterally, um, and that then gets rid of your uh, dark green lines. And that's what they did. What you see on the right when they played with the pulsing a little bit, it got rid of the striping. So this is this is what we consider a success story for subsurface drip on an athletic field. Of course, then you, you, you get the phone call as an extension specialist. Uh, our subsurface strip is not working anymore. Uh, please come immediately. And I say, how so? What's happening? Well, we have these uh, dry spots. My first recommendation message was, well, have you dug up the drip system? Is, is there really no water coming? Um, and then they said, oh, no, we dug it up and there is water. Uh, and of course, we did investigate it a little bit further, and the culprit was actually a bill bug. So just because you you apply water differently uh, doesn't exempt you from 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 all other scouting or from from all other maintenance that you would do on a turf area. It's subsurface irrigation, subsurface drip irrigation is just one means of applying water differently, but the rest needs to be done the same. Um, of course, there are areas uh, that have failed, that put in a drip system and have failed. I, I can show these examples also. This is an um, elementary uh, school kindergarten area, also in New Mexico, where the parents uh, did the design and the installation themselves to save money and uh, didn't have the flow and the pressure for the zone they calculated and therefore you only have grasses growing on top of the drip lines but not in between the drip lines. So here the, the calculations were wrong, the zoning was done inappropriately. We can also do this, we, 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 we did this in a, in, a, in a turf project where we spaced the drip lines too far apart uh, on a sandy soil and with uh, with the bunch type turf grass like uh, tall fescue, then we were unable to get the gaps filled in between. So of course, you know, planning and design and zoning needs to be done appropriately following your soil tests, your soil type, and uh, so on and so forth. Similar to when you do a proper uh, design and installation of a sprinkler system. Another interesting uh, 
Um, failure we had were uh, was actually on that five acre soccer complex the first time they put it in the drip lines were delivered with the faulty emitter so the manufacturer didn't follow up on their quality control and the entire five acres had to be removed and uh, drip line put back out again um, was an interesting uh, learning experience. You see that on, on, on the top left photo, water is supposed to be dripping out and not supposed to be streaming out. That, that, was, that was a mistake here. So water was coming out way too quickly and was all lost to depercolation and just didn't, uh, didn't uh, move left or right uh, by capillary. Filtration is key. You see this in the in the when you look at the valve box, the two black units that you see there, those are screen filters for um, a backyard, a residential turf. Absolutely key. Even even if you're on potable water, I, I don't I personally don't care what type of water you use. Uh, a filtration is is key because you never know what comes with water. This was a, a project we did on a on a different site here in Las Cruces. Was on a on a on a, a horticulture farm that um, the university operates, and it's supposed to be on potable water. Uh, and this is the filter at the end of the growing season. So, and you don't want to have this this type of buildup uh, in your drip emitters. On on our turf center, on our turf farm, we have a sand filter because we have about uh, two acres of turf on the drip irrigation. So we do a sand filter similar to uh, to an ag uh, to an ag field, which we back flush every so often because. The water that we apply here is saline groundwater, uh, needs to be filtered. Again, want to make sure that um, drip emitters are not being clogged up. Also, uh, on Darren, the. Can I ask a question? Yes. Uh, uh, do you see any biofouling or any problems with high iron or anything in the emitter systems in the soil? Do they do you get some bacteria growing on those or do they stay pretty clean? No, though our filters actually stay clean, and uh, uh, that's that's a very good question because we, we we get asked that all the time, particularly from people that deal with drip irrigation, either in ag on row crops or in greenhouses. Now, in turf, where we put the where we put the grass, uh, where we put the drip lines between four and six inches below ground, we don't see that, and we've actually dug up some drip lines eight to ten years after we put it in the ground, and we see nothing to to that kind uh, in our drip emitters we get we get a lot of sludge buildup with the, from the iron bacteria out here in just mm -hmm. regular standard irrigation lines if the I think it's probably has something to do with the velocity of the water moving through the lines also but when we get above about uh, half a part per million I think it is with iron or uh, or higher levels of manganese it just really seems to cause us some problems I don't know if you've had high iron or manganese uh, not in our water or not not at least in the water that we deal with Okay. Um, we monitor pressure and we monitor flow religiously. We want to make sure that uh, you know everything works according to spec, and uh, that's not we do. We 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 don't do this uh, just on drip. We also do it, of course, on our sprinkler system because uh, we do research and we want to make sure that everything works within within specs. And I'll I'll, I'll talk about that uh, at the end of the presentation. 
This is a photo of our um, uh, research site here in Las Cruces. We had, um, at one point, we had a total of six NTEP trials. You can see we're out in the open. We're exposed to wind. Uh, we, we had our NTEP trials on, uh, on drip irrigation because we just couldn't get the performance from our sprinkler uh, irrigation. The water would just blow in the air, blow in the wind, and uh, would be carried uh, everywhere, just not on the plots where it's supposed to be. So um, we feel we have a, a good um, database of, of uh, drip irrigated turf. Uh, this was a study that uh, we did a few years ago where we established uh, turf cool season and warm season grass uh, by sprinkler and by drip irrigation. Uh, you're looking here at two photos. One is one, one set of plots is sprinkler irrigated and one set of plots is uh, drip irrigated. So you're looking at the same grasses, they're just arranged differently. So what you have in the, in the, in the center lower half of the picture kind of uh, sparsely covered would be center right on the on the in, in in the right photo but ultimately you you can't make out the difference uh which area is drip irrigated and which area is sprinkler irrigated now if you look very closely you see the sprinkler head in the right photo at the very lower end of the lower section of the photo you see the empty rotator I think you can use your cursor to uh, point. No, I think we'll. I think we'll see it. Here, here. This is the sprinkler head. So these these plots here were sprinkler irrigated, and these were drip irrigated, and you 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 really can't see the difference. All all established from seed with saline water. Um, NTEP uh, seashore paspalum variety trial with saline water, uh, just an overview. Bermuda grass uh, NTEP variety trial um, uh, with saline water, a summer photo, a winter photo. And then we also uh, did studies, uh, multi-year studies that we published and uh, we just posted them here. You can read on it just on the performance and longevity of uh, drip system compared to sprinkler system and how turf grasses perform on the drip irrigation on the sprinkler system. Bottom line, there is no difference. Turf grasses look exactly the same if, if you do it right, if you do your drip system right and if you do your sprinkler system right. On the um, establishment from seed. Uh, this is the results of a study here. We have uh, two seeding dates. We have what we call an early seeding, and this is uh, seizure paspalum and Bermuda grass established from seed. We have an early seeding or in March, which is also called dormant seeding, or what we call late seeding, which was uh, first week of June, or recommended seeding and we had uh, potable water, saline water, we had a sprinkler system and we had a drip system. So here you have this this red line here, uh, dotted red line is sprinkler, uh, sorry, is drip irrigated um, saline water. We have sprinkler irrigated saline water, uh, potable sprinkler irrigated. This is establishment uh, early. And then we have late, late seeded. Um, so when, when it comes to establishment, bottom line here, what this, what this study showed is 
that uh, it may take longer for these warm season grasses to establish when you use drip system. Uh, therefore, timing becomes very important, and we recommend dormant seeding. Then one growing season is long enough to establish Bermuda grass and seashore paspalum from seed, even when you only have a drip system and you don't want to set up a temporary sprinkler system just to jumpstart the grasses, which which some people also do. They just uh, put out uh, um, sprinklers, temporary sprinklers on a, on a kind of a tripod or on a, on a metal stand and uh, then remove it when, when they're fully established. But according to our findings, that is not necessary. So here we see uh, two photos uh, here. Um, dormant seeded or early seeded Bermuda grass, saline and drip irrigated, fully established by October 15. Seashore uh, paspalum uh, established late in June, saline and drip June 15. So we did not reach full establishment. And that now can be a problem if you go into the winter and the grasses are not fully mature, they might not survive the first winter. We did the same with, with sodded. We, we, we had a study that was funded by the Sod Producers Association. They wanted to know um, whether uh, sod can also be established from drip system or whether they need a, a sprinkler system. Because here uh, in the southwest, particularly in southern uh, New Mexico and also in west Texas, a lot of cities now exempt you from water restrictions. Uh, if you are drip irrigated, so you're, um, you don't have to follow the odd even or you don't have to turn off the water if your utilities tell you to, uh, if you are in subsurface drip. So we actually see housing developments, new housing developments now going subsurface drip in residential areas. And the question here was uh, whether salt can be established by drip only. And yes, the answer is very similar to seed. Um, uh, also from sod, turf establishes very nicely uh, from sod, even if you only have a drip system about four or five inches below ground. This was an establishment study we did um, with drip system on cool season grasses. Um, of course, uh, establishment uh, is never 100% uniform. Uh, on drip system, even with cool season grasses, or also with cool season grasses, I should say, uh, you have kind of a spotty um, um, growing uh, establishment phase. Uh, the pattern is different. Uh, it may be more circular on sprinkler irrigated turf and more linear with drip system, but ultimately uh, areas uh, do establish also uh, with cool season grasses with drip system only. That's just uh, concluding or, or, or repeating uh, what I just said. Uh, grasses established successfully if planted early for warm season and saline water can be used and has no effect on establishment for both seed and sod. Uh, cool season, two, our two-year study showed that establishment was successful even with cool season grasses. However, spacing uh, needs to be carefully evaluated, particularly if you work with bunch-type turf grasses with tall fescue. Um, 
the, the, the 12 inch spacing between drip lines may be the furthest uh, you want to move them apart while with the warm season, particularly with Bermuda grass where you have rhizomes and, and stolons, you can actually um, move up a little bit. And also salinity uh, can be a problem for cool season grasses, was not for warm season grasses. I'll talk about that in more detail. John, do you have a question? No, I think you addressed it. Somebody uh, had asked about, uh, Andy O'Haver asked about water salt accumulation um, with the subsurface yeah, irrigation. So I think you're talking about it, so it's fine. Yeah. Hang, hang on a second. Uh, we, we published our establishment studies all in agronomy journal, uh, also in turf news uh, with the salt growers. We did a little write-up so you can read all about this uh, in scientific journals and in uh, trade journals. Then we did a three-year study where we looked at warm season and cool season grasses irrigated from sprinkler and drip systems where we had three types of water qualities. We had a, 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 what we call a highly saline water, four decisiemens, SAR of 10. We had the potable water, our standard potable water here uh, in Las Cruces. The study was um, next to the golf course, NMSU golf course, and that was the potable water was the golf course, was the golf course's water where we had about uh, um, EC of 1 and an SAR of 1.6. And then we had as our third water quality, we had a 50-50 a blend of these two waters and the numbers kind of fell in between. Um, we monitored salinity over time, we monitored turf performance over time, turf quality, and uh, sprinkler and subsurface drip and um, the way our climate goes in Las Cruces, we have our rainy season usually starting in July, can go July, um, August and September or just uh, may not happen at all. So our six inches or eight inches of rainfall uh, may come and long term come in July and August. And for the, uh, the irrigation season, of course, starts uh, early in the year. So what you see is that your soil EC, your sodium, and your SAR reflects very nicely these seasonal changes in irrigation and natural precipitation. As you turn on your irrigation, and as you increase your irrigation up until June, salinity builds up in the top four inches. Um, very nicely and and can be shown and and we've published that then the rainy season hits and all these salts are being flushed out and usually uh, in October November you have the lowest salinity levels in your root zone um, so if you grow a grass that is in on, on drip system that is salt tolerant enough that can handle the the salinity accumulation in June in the top four inches you are fine because if you don't have a sprinkler system to leach the salts this is when we saw the highest salt accumulation and this was usually not this was not an issue for warm season grasses none of the warm season grasses even blinked most of the cool season grasses definitely blinked and then had had the signs of salt stress 
and or drought stress. Only tall fescue actually sustained uh, an acceptable quality at six or higher. And then of course we not only have salt buildup, we, we, we have these, these multiple effects uh, of actually uh, heat stress, salt stress and or maybe drought stress. So um, it's, it's really hard to, to distinguish, but uh, this, is, this is real world. This is what happens on a golf course. So we feel that, that this study actually uh, tells us more than many of the greenhouse studies that are being done where you, where you keep uh, all conditions uh, constant except one, and then you, you have these salinity thresholds um, uh, for the different grasses, which turn out to be much higher than what we saw um, in the field. Sorry. So for warm season grasses, EC, sodium, SAR did not affect turf quality. Seashore Paspalum was our top performer, hands down, had highest turf quality. Uh, Princess Riviera, two Bermuda grasses uh, came in as uh, close seconds. Interesting also that drip irrigation resulted in earlier green up than sprinkler irrigation. But uh, we did not see a difference uh, between the two systems on summer quality or fall color retention. Not sure exactly why this is. Maybe uh, sprinkler irrigation provides um, additional cooling. You know, you have the uh, the the the, the transport, the evaporation of the water from from the surface. Maybe that keeps it cooler, and that prevents from from greening up. Um, but that's speculation. I, I I can't produce the numbers for that. But it was interesting to see. We've published uh, these findings also in uh, Agronomy Journal. Uh, you can read all about it. We tried to model. We did uh, um, multilinear regression. We used SAR, EC, um, and um, and um, sodium, and and uh, tried to to discern which which ones actually had more effect on turf quality. It worked for some grasses, but uh, had a very low R square. Was significant, but low, but uh, didn't work for others. So I don't know. That was more like a scientific exercise. Here, tall fescue in the back, you see, was the top performer over the three years. Uh, we had other grasses that uh, obviously didn't do so well. Um, Seashore Paspalum. We also had inland saltgrass, uh, Disticlis, in there. Uh, we, we had a variety from Tony Koski, University of Arizona. We also had one from Colorado. Uh, sorry, from uh, Dave Kopek and Tony Koski from Colorado uh, that sent us two varieties. Um, overall, they did well. They, they, they didn't, of course, didn't show any stress. But when it comes ultimately to turf quality uh, for color, uniformity, density, uh, seashore paspalum just looks better on a on a on a quality scale than inland saltgrass. Um, I guess the, the breeding for inland saltgrass hasn't produced any high quality turf grasses yet. We also did a fertilization study. Uh, my PhD student uh, Matteo is just writing up the results. That those will will be published fairly soon, where we looked at foliar fertilization and at granular fertilization on sprinkler and drip irrigated uh, turf. Just to conclude that study, uh, we had six treatments, and I would go way too far to to talk about this in more detail. All all we can say 
is, or all I want to say right now is that if there is adequate soil moisture available, the nutrients from the fertilizer pellet will become plant available and the turf will react to the fertilizer application. Uh, no need to water it in, to hand water it in, or sprinkler water it in. Um, um, yeah, that's really all for now. We didn't really see a, a big difference between foliar and granular fertilization, but uh, maybe that's, um, that's um, a topic for, for another Hangout. Okay, then there is a question that we probably get asked the most. Well, how much water do I save when I do drip irrigation? And will my water savings off that offset the increased cost of, of uh, you know, subsurface drip installation? Unfortunately, I cannot answer that question with, with a degree of certainty. Now, the running number that you hear out in the world from people that do subsurface drip. I actually saw a little note from Mike McCullough, who is who is in Northern California, who has his his front yard in drip irrigation. Uh, he posted something about 15 to 20 percent less water. Uh, I hear from from turf managers and from 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 house owners. Uh, that put in drip system roughly about 30%. So anywhere between 20 and 30%, that's the running number. The, the problem that we have in research is when we do our sprinkler plots, we do 25 by 25 or 30 by 30 feet blocks. And, and these blocks are, of course, easy to irrigate from a sprinkler system. I mean, that's one sprinkler system uh, work the best and work the most uniform. But that's not what we see in real world. And um, on, 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 on this end, or in this area, we just haven't produced real world that we, we actually let our sprinkler system go down to a distribution of, uh, uniformity of 0.5 or even lower. All of our sprinkler systems on our test plots um, when we do the catch can, the uniformity test actually have 0.75 or, or even 0.8. Nonetheless, um, we've been going out now for two years uh, with, a, with a, a spectrum handheld TDR meter similar to what, uh, what USG agronomies use and take between 18 and 25 moisture readings on our uh, drip irrigated plots and on our sprinkler irrigated plots. So we measure moisture uniformity in the soil with a handheld uh, TDR meter. And the findings were very interesting, twofold. First, that, um, oh yeah, uh, be, before I, I this, this graph here shows standard deviation. So lower numbers are better. Standard deviation calculated for these 18 or 24 moisture readings. So a higher standard deviation indicates a less uniform moisture distribution on the plot. And we saw that sprinkler irrigated plots the soil moisture is more uniform than on drip irrigated plots. And that just has to do that, in my opinion, we stack the deck 
towards sprinkler irrigation. We, we have sprinkler irrigated plots with a distribution uniformity that we don't see in real world. That's, that's all I can say. The other thing, the other interesting thing that we saw is that saline irrigated plots had uh, more uniform moisture distribution than potable irrigated plots. I have no explanation for that. I don't know. And I'm, I'm open to, to, to ideas why that is. Um, so this basically just highlights what I just said. Sprinkler irrigation resulted in more uniform soil moisture, lower standard deviation compared to drip irrigation. And also saline irrigated plots had a higher, um, or had, had soil moisture distributed more uniformly than potable irrigated plots. Now, we also did a test where over three years we had Bermuda grass and seashore paspalum um, kind of irrigated under um, more or less extreme drought at a 50% of ET. So even, even with our small amount of rainfall, when you do a 0.5 crop coefficient, we did not get even close to what's calculated for reference ET. And what we saw in the third year, not in the first year, in the first year the sprinkler plots looked better. In the second year there was no difference. In the third year the drip system, the drip plots here on the left side looked significantly better, had higher turf quality than the sprinkler irrigated plots. So if, if, if you really want to push the envelope and want to reduce the irrigation amount to, to, to a very low number, um, it is better you apply the water at the root zone so the water is just not evaporated uh, when it lands on the surface or is not caught in the thatch and, and just doesn't become plant available or not, not to the same degree. Uh, and I think that's that's what comes out here. Now I cannot give a number because we have not, we were not able to find funding to do a, a kind of a, a linear gradient uh, test where we have drip irrigated at 80%, 60%, 40% to do a kind of a, a, a linear regression to see where, where the turf quality uh, drops below six for drip irrigation compared to sprinkler irrigation. That I guess would be something um, that we should do next if, if we have somebody paying for that study. Because then we could really quantify um, the number uh, and the amount of water that can be saved by going below ground. Subsurface drip, in our opinion, is certainly an alternative to a traditional sprinkler system if and that's huge, installed, monitored, and maintained properly. And also you can apply um, irrigation water from a subsurface drip system efficiently with both saline and potable water if you choose the right grasses. We also uh, put out a little study in Riverside because California just has become the first state with a water ordinance that mandates subsurface drip irrigation for any area that's narrower than 10 feet, I think, or 15 feet, I forgot the number, 10 feet, I think it is, and also for irregularly shaped turf areas because all these areas are very difficult to, to irrigate from a sprinkler system. And then I, I, I posted on the UC Riverside uh, 
um, field day website, uh, a kind of a, a summary, a write-up of uh, the five most commonly asked questions about subsurface drip in turf, and I answered those to the best of our knowledge. So if you want to know the answer to these five questions, you need to go to the Riverside website. Okay, that's all I had to say. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, I think that we can, if anybody has any questions, discussion, uh, and Barrett, if you can uh, unshare your screen so we can actually see you. Um, and anybody that's muted, if you can turn your mute off, and if you have questions. I will say that uh, there were some questions in the <clears throat> uh, chat rooms. Um, a lot of questions became, like, can you aerify these areas? It sounded like some of the drip irrigation you had six to eight inches down, which probably wouldn't be a problem. But were there any... Um, can you see there, me now? No, you're sharing your screen, so just unshare oh. it. Uh, yeah, there you go. Now I see you. Um, <laughs> so, was it, would airification or other common cultural practices be an, an issue with some of these uh, different systems? Um, on um, on the homeowner side, um, I have to say that um, most of the homeowners I deal with and that have subsurface drip installed have not aerated before and will not aerate now. It's just a non a non issue. On the athletic fields that we that we um, put in, um, on the on the one in Albuquerque Rio Rancho, they actually put the drip line. Um, Five, five inches below the surface, so they have the choice or they can core aerate if they need to. But the, the turf manager, what he tells me, and that's now in the ground for four years, that drip system, uh, he has not seen a need for core aeration because it stays much drier at the surface. It just doesn't compact to the level that his uh, sprinkler irrigated uh, uh, plots do, even though he, t he says his uh, drip irrigated fields get more traffic than the sprinkler irrigated plots. So to answer your question, if you put the drip lines um, well below the depths of core aeration, yes, you can. Barrett, do you have an idea on how uh, what what's the heaviest soil you can use the subsurface drip and still have it work out okay, or do you use like the hydrus two D or three D model or something to figure out what will be the limits on soil type? Well. I, I cannot tell you on turf. Most of our soils that we've dealt with were very sandy. Uh, of course, in um, we we had one test area where we had uh, a, a much finer textured soil, and we had to pay very close attention to uh, scheduling. You know, to the pulsing, because otherwise you you run into these chimney effects that that water just comes straight to the surface and then puddles at the surface above the drip emitters. But um, I, I think there is plenty of data available for for ag for agriculture, just not on turf. Hey, Barrett, do you think that um, it sounded like there were some challenges, and there could still be some challenges for use on golf courses and in main areas? Do you think if it ever got to a point where we were really concerned about water, you said there, the urgency is not there? Um, do you think people would install both um, above ground to handle watering in products and? Uh, avoidance of burning and those issues, but still use subsurface to be able to maintain day to day. I mean, I know it's expensive, but you know, it may become mandated, I guess. 
No, I, I, I completely agree, and that's actually some of I, I just came back from a, from a workshop in um, in in Los Angeles. Uh, the the Landscape Association had a meeting, and there was a, also a, a talk about uh, subsurface drip, and and some some of the the, the companies actually suggest to put in a dual system, go subsurface. And then uh, do do sprinklers when when you have to, and and maybe at at one point in time, the um, the water use and and water conservation will will mandate such an approach, and the price of water uh, will will make it that it's actually not expensive at all because your your water conservation, your reduction in water use will will pay for it. I, I actually, based on my experience, I think that golf courses will be the last ones to put it in, other than you know bunker faces and and uh, maybe maybe tee boxes where you where you don't want to have the water move away. Because, well, two reasons. Um, first, uh, the the golf course superintendent is is very conservative when it comes to irrigation itself. Uh, the, 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 the superintendent may, may add technology that helps him with scheduling, whether it's a sensor or whether it's a weather station or whether it's, it's remote sensing, you name it, or a new irrigation controller, uh, then they're actually very advanced. But when it comes to irrigation itself, um, they're very conservative because they want to see somebody else put his or her head on the chopping block first uh, and, and, and want to see technology uh, go work for 10 or 15 years before they, they put it out. Uh, where we see it is in athletic fields uh, and, and on the residential section. That's where we, where we see it big time. Um, Doug, I know you were tweeting some stuff in the, uh, in the chat and you have done some work with it. Do you have any thoughts on your own experience with subsurface irrigation? Uh, you're muted, Doug. Let me uh, unmute you here. Or you, you, I don't think you're muted. I just don't think your mic's working. So, How about uh, this? Yeah, you're good. All right. Uh, yeah, so we, I haven't had much experience with it. We put in um, drip lines on our lawn uh, at our research center at 5 and 10 inches depth at different spacings and and Larry mentioned the the hydrus program we we use that it's like a it's a it's a computer model that simulates soil moisture distribution and we we thought it was pretty helpful for designing the spacing like cuz the soil type is going to determine how close those lines need to be together and they need to be closer together for sand and for clay and farther apart for silt loam so we we couldn't get it published, so I mean it was there's more work that needs to be done, but we think like using a model like that could be helpful. And then I saw Bruce Bruce has a question about can you use drip in areas where it freezes? And yeah, you can. You you do have to blow it out the same way that you would um, our other irrigation systems up here. But you actually have to use a much lower pressure uh, compressor, otherwise you'll ruin the the emitters. It sounds like um, just in seeing what other people are talking about in the room that um, until these bugs and kinks get worked out that people are going to uh, maybe avoid uh, getting involved in some of the stuff because uh, it does seem like there's a lot of complications from a practicality standpoint when it comes to real. But I, I, I really, John, I, I need to rebut here. Uh, kinks, it, it really, it really depends what you what you call kinks. 
um, if if designed and installed properly, there are the same issues that you have with any sprinkler system, really. Um, you know, I mean, I like, like I said in my introduction. You know, I have a, a folder full of uh, of non-working sprinkler systems where I would argue we have to work out the kinks on the sprinkler system before we before we go and and, and sell them. So um, I I think the time has come that we we take a serious look at at how we irrigate, whether it's from sprinkler or or drip. Otherwise, we're we're losing turf left left and right. Because I, I can tell you, if if we if we don't increase our efficiency, particularly on the residential side, uh, the water utilities will not will not go down the road. Well, let's do a little bit more research here and there. They just remove turf and go syric and go rocks. That's that's their solution to the problem. Uh, Larry, you had some pictures up. Uh, were you going to show something? Well, I was just going to stress the the. Uh, methods or the applications that uh, are most likely to be used or what what Baron's talking about is is these uh, things like these bunker faces uh, you know where you have this has some traffic problems also but they get dry on the faces and if you can keep those things those south facing um, bunker faces working better people will get some experience with how to use these drip lines and I think uh, drip systems and then move them out into other areas, but I think the, the idea would be to encourage people to try these systems and, uh, and, and get them working out there and then maybe uh, there will be more adoption and we'll figure out exactly uh, what, the, what the problems are if there are some uh, um, you know, problems that uh, we can figure out, like the aeration. If we don't need to aerate as much, that would be kind of nice also, and if we don't have that compaction because we lose the soil structure at the surface from the surface irrigation that would be kind of an interesting system. So there, there's some opportunities there to try to figure out how they, they would work and then especially places that are capping uh, fairways which happens a lot more now that could be a, a real design uh, feature that would, would make the systems more efficient. But I think it's a good idea to look at these alternatives because I'm, I'm pretty tired of the uh, circular irrigation systems and the deficits there. It's pretty, they're pretty, uh, we're, they're pretty bad. We're pretty far off from uh, optimum when you when you have a DU of 75, you know, being that's about as good as you can get, or, or 80, I think we can do a lot better than that. So, it's another technology that uh, needs to be looked at. And and I, I mean I completely agree. And the the other issue that that we 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 can look here is is diseases. I mean you you look at the act data and and the, the reduction in diseases they they see. You know, just to think of you have a a 50% reduction in in. In, in fungicide application or, or even don't have to apply fungicides at all. Uh, I mean, that would offset uh, many of these so-called kinks that, that we're, we're talking about, really. Yeah, John, I, I don't think there's um, kinks in the system as much as it's just fear of the unknown. And I think you're actually seeing a, a growth in popularity of the drip system in the limited areas on these bunker faces and different things. Um, I think there's quite a market for them in uh, walk paths, especially with a lot of courses developing uh, these unmaintained fescue areas that are not irrigated. Um, rather than doing a, a mister system, you could do, you know, just a simple subsurface for these walking paths that are irrigated um, as the only part. So I think there's going to be a growth in the golf industry. I think we're a little. I'll, you know, step away from whole scale 
full-on irrigation system. Um, that's just my take. I, I, you know, we don't jump into things too quickly in the golf industry um, unless there's a million people doing it, and then we all kind of jump on board. But I don't see anybody doing whole-scale golf courses other than just target markets. But as the target markets grow and people get accustomed to the technology, people will expand them on their own. You agree with that, Bruce? I mean, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, just. Bruce, you there? You're muted, or your mic's not working. Absolutely. Uh, no question. I think that that's the direction things are going. And I, t I wrote in the uh, uh, online chat thing, we did uh, bunker faces at LA Country Club when we did the renovation um, four, years, four years ago, and it was very, very successful. I retired a year later, so I can't speak for how they are today. But I, I saw the methodology from Doug Ayers up at... Uh, I'm going to take a good guess the name of the course in Monterey Corral de la Terra or something like that, Tierra de la Corral. And uh, he did a great job of putting them in in-house. So I just mirrored what he did. And I think the key to it is if you put them in properly, you're going to have success. And um, I agree with your comment that it's going to spread from those areas to other areas on the golf course, maybe a ways away from greens and things like that. But uh, certainly I can see it. I walk past tees, green surrounds, places like that, and then it will evolve. Yeah, I think there's no doubt that this is a, a good option um, if we can figure out how to best use it in certain areas. I think, as a lot of people have stated, golf courses, uh, people are tinkering with it and starting to see success on specific areas like bunker faces. I know Marion has put some in. Um, Glen Arbor, a golf course in Westchester, New York, Bedford area, they, they did some drip irrigation, and I think successfully, and they're happy with it. So as you can start realizing the reduction in water use, although, uh, Barrett, even you said that the, the actual savings isn't really known at this time, but there, there clearly has to be some sort of saving in terms of water use from evaporation and all kinds of other things, but... Um, I think that it's it's definitely going to be something of the future. I think the problem for us is we're not in New Mexico, and so you've if you're telling us there's not an urgent need, and you're in the Southwest, um, you can imagine what it's like in Pennsylvania and the Northeast and some of these areas where uh, water use, although we talk about it as being a big issue, it definitely is not as big of an issue it is in the desert climate. So um, it's a little disconcerting that uh, that you're saying that there's not a huge um, urgency although I think we're probably getting close to that. For, for golf courses. Yeah. For golf courses. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I completely agree. The, the, the problem is why, why we, from, from the research angle, can't, can't give you a number is because, like I said, we don't, we don't install faulty sprinkler systems that we see in real world all the time. That's, that's our problem. Maybe that's what we have to do now. Well, I think the topic was a great one, and the talk was good, and I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. I think that we've
talked about privately, we've talked about doing some more discussions like this on water conservation and some other specific areas. And so I hope that you'll be willing to join us in the future. Um, I think what we'll do, we've been on for uh, about an hour and 20 minutes. What I'd like to do is, is wrap it up by <coughs> um, allowing anybody any last minute comments, uh, if anybody has any other questions. And then we'll go around the room and allow people to just give their final thoughts. So anybody have anything specific that they wanted to ask Barron while we have him here? Yeah, I, John, I wanted to ask Barron about that 30% savings with the ECS system. Was that compared to uh, raw ET or just compared to water use of the sprinklers, water use of the, uh, the ECS system or whatever the acronym for that one was, TRAYS? Yeah, the, um, the, uh, the sprinkler system was assumed 100%. So this was reduced compared to a sprinkler system. How did, did you have uh, ET data on that burned as to how that kind of, what, what yes. are you irrigating at with the uh, sprinklers versus the, I think, the other system? Yeah, if I remember correctly, we, we irrigated uh, at about 90 to 100% ET because it was okay. a green. Okay. Okay, well, if there's no other uh, comments or questions, what I'd like to do is, uh, Baron, just we'll start with you if you... Uh, have any last-minute thing you want to say, and then we'll go around to Doug and, and everybody else. No, I'm, I'm good. Thank you for having me, and uh, it was, um, was good. you have any Thank upcoming you. conferences or anything that you're going to be presenting at? Um, no. We have our turf conference in November. The Southwest Turf Conference in Ridosa, New Mexico, is in November, so not really in the short term. Okay, great. Doug? No, nothing for me. Thanks, Burned. Interesting stuff. So to me, then, I guess. Uh, okay, this is Larry Stoll. I just want to introduce uh, Mike Manager from the Titleist uh, Test Facility, and uh, he's just down for a visit. And this is Pamela uh, Millette from uh, Horiba. She brought down some a variety of meters. We're going to start testing some of these to uh, work on evaluating uh, turf uh, stuff. As you can imagine, these look like fun, and we'll let you know what's uh, what's happening there. A little bit later, and then uh, we're gonna have our meeting on April first. And I was gonna give you a little plug. Both the well, Bruce is uh, gone, but uh, uh, John will be down for that one. Larry, what are those meters testing? I assume a variety of things. Well, it's uh, nitrate, all of the stuff. Well, just which ones you got, just real quick. Uh, we have seven seven different varieties: uh, pH, conductivity, calcium, sodium, potassium, salt, and nitrate. Uh, we have three uh, different models of the nitrate for low, mid, and high levels. Yeah, are, so they, are, are these like samples pulled out? Or are these things that you put into the ground? Like uh... Uh, You can uh, measure liquid or solid samples. So if you're looking at plant nutrients, if you're looking at grasses, uh, you would just crush the grass. Uh, it already has some moisture in it uh, and just place it directly on the meter. So it's a, it's got a it's one of the it's got a uh, sensor. So you need a moist sample. So one of the things we're going to look at is trying to figure out how to uh, how to get the sample uh, out and how to correlate that to uh, to standard wet chemistry sort of tests. But these are these have been around something like these have been around for a while. But apparently these are more easily calibrated and, yeah. and maintained. So that's waterproof. And so Larry, Larry, what's what's the price for a nitrate meter? If I were to go and buy one. Uh, the list price is three fifty. 
Uh, the pH is 225, the, uh, I'm sorry, 250, the conductivity 325, but all the rest of the meters, the ion meters are 350. So 250 to 350 for, you know, a lot of pretty good data. So what I look forward to, Larry, is um, <laughs> a possible future hangout where we can uh, discuss some of the results from this and maybe see some of the things. Yeah, a little hook on there. You can put it on a lanyard. Oh, look at that. You can carry it around in the field with you or to the, or to the mall. You look... <laughs> You look really, you're real hip. You look really hip walking around with that. Okay, uh, thanks, Larry. I appreciate it. Matt, uh, you're up. Um, yeah, thanks. It was a very nice talk. I appreciated it. It was uh, interesting. I think there's certainly uh, an interesting future ahead for drip irrigation on golf courses. Uh, maybe slow, but I think it's coming. All things water. Yeah, Matt, are you going to the New England Regional show? I will be. Uh, I'm on the board, actually, of the New England Regional, so I'll be there all week. Um, I assume moderating a few talks, but not uh, giving any. So I'm sure I'll see you there somewhere. And I'll be there. All right, Mike? Yeah, I want to thank Byrne for his time and his uh, great talk there. I, I looked into drip, subsurface drip real extensively for a recycled water project where we didn't want to use it for irrigation as much as we did subsurface disposal. Mm -hmm. And we were going to put it down deep in the ground, see if that was practical, keep the recycled treatment plant running 24-7 at the same output. We could dispose of water we didn't need for irrigation that way. And it just didn't look cost effective at the time. Uh, uh, one other thing, I had a question for Burnt, and I can't remember. But anyway, uh, I'm going to be down in Mexico at Cabo San Lucas giving a uh, seminar on water quality for a group of superintendents down there. If anybody wants to join, I can put you in touch with uh, Tim Roth, who's coordinating that meeting. And then, uh, John, I'll volunteer sometime if you'd like to do a thing on sprinkler irrigation. Uh, I've got some PowerPoints with a lot of graphics on why we see those circular patterns and how you can try, at least make an effort to avoid those in the design phase and even to use it as kind of a diagnostic tool uh, using the laboratory up at the Center for Irrigation Technology and their software that's available. So, Yeah, well, definitely. We're always looking for new topics, so uh, yeah. we'll take, take advantage of you offering it up. <laughs> I'll just... Sorry, I muted you. What did you say? You what? I just have to dig up the old PowerPoint. It's somewhere on the computer, I know. Okay. All right, uh, Steve, uh, if you have a mic, uh, you're muted as well. See if your mic will uh, work. I don't know. There we go. Is that good now? Good. Yeah, so uh, thanks. This is my first time. I had a little trouble getting it in, but it was really interesting because uh, – I think around the, uh, the around the bunkers is really something that, you know, like they started talking about in the beginning, where whether you water it by hand or, you know, if you're sending a guy out there water it by hand, next thing you know, all the sand's on the bottom of the bunker, and you have problems. So it's really good. Hopefully we can get that going and uh, see a lot more of that. And the walk pass, too. That's pretty interesting. I never really thought of that that much. But when you we're starting to get a little more of those things going where you're at the fescue on the sides, and then, you know, if you're not irrigating down the middle kind of leaves it open for compaction and every other thing. Yeah, I think there's probably at least, um, like, I know you're in northern Jersey, right? So yeah. um, the one course, Glen Arbor, they just did it this year. That They're in Bedford, New York, so they're a little north of you. But 
there's got to be some courses around that you could go check out some of the uh, uh, examples in the area. Yeah, we have, I know we have at least two bunkers that we've resided numerous years in a row just because of the uh, – even though you have the uh, the overhead, but it's just um, – you know, you can't do it all day. You can't, you can't cool it down as many times as you want to. So. All right. All right, but thanks a lot. All right, thanks. Okay, I'm going to uh, wrap up here. I'll say for myself, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'll be in Canada at the Montreal Talk. Um, and then next week, the Western PA. And then the week after that, New England Regional. And then the week after that, I think I'm free. And then finally, in April, Larry mentioned it, but I'll be giving uh, a talk at their conference in California. So a busy uh, next few weeks. And um, I appreciate everybody coming, as always. Baron, uh, big appreciation to you. Uh, I know that it takes time to put together PowerPoints and all of that. Everybody's giving you the thumbs up. So I hope that you're interested in doing this again. I think that, uh, as always, we're picking up a little bit of momentum with each one of these, so we look forward to continuing that. So thanks, everybody. I appreciate it, and we'll, we'll see you next time.